You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. Well, this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 11, we will be talking about leadership, the test of leadership specifically. And in Saul's life, this is the rise of Saul. As we've talked about earlier, first uh, eight chapters of the book of 1 Samuel are really all about the rise of Samuel the prophet. And in chapter 8, the people of Israel came to Samuel and they said, look, we don't want, uh, we, we want a king. We want you to put a king over us. And essentially what is happening there is they were rejecting God as king and they were wanting a human king just like all the nations around them. And so in chapter 9 and 10, we studied last week about how all of that came about, how God's sovereign hand was working to allow that to happen. We know that Saul is not God's first choice or perfect choice for the king king, for the king of Israel. We know that God's will and the people's will is going to converge in David of the tribe of Judah. But for now, God is allowing Saul, and he's going to utilize this situation to go ahead and set it up so that Israel is, is prepared for David to come. And, and so right now, Saul, in this portion of the book of 1 Samuel, he's on the rise, and he is, you know, as we're going to see here today, he's going to be consolidated in his leadership. Last week, he was anointed as king, he was proclaimed king, but uh, nobody really did anything about it. Everybody, some dissenters came, they spoke negatively about it, and everybody just kind of, all the steam was lost, and they just kind of all went back to their houses. And so chapter 11 kind of picks it up right there, and we're going to see how Saul's leadership is going to be tested and confirmed, and then the kingdom consolidated. But first of all, before we get started, I want to tell you guys about a clock. Why a clock? Well, this is a special clock. And this clock is located here on a hill in the, on the edge of Georgetown in Washington, D.C. It's located inside of a vault in the U.S. Naval Observatory's Time Services Department. And, and this, this vault holds the master clock from which all other timepieces are set. Well, this morning I'm talking about the master clock because a true leader, a good leader, or any leader, really, is like this master clock, in that that clock is actually much more important than our own timepieces, our own watches, because we all set our watches and phones according to the master clock. Well, in the same way, the character of a leader will set the pace for our own standards of conduct. Leadership on a government national level, leadership on a city level, leadership within your place of employment, your manager, your boss, leadership within a church will always set the standard of conduct for the people around them. It's the way it works. Leadership is so important. God is into leaders. He is into developing leaders and It is not easy to be a leader. But here today, we're going to see Saul's leadership is tested and confirmed. And if you want to pull out your handout uh, and follow along in your notes this morning, I do that so that I don't lose you guys. As we cover chapters, sometimes a couple chapters at a time, I don't want to lose you guys. So pull out the outline. That way you know right where we are. If you doze off in the middle of the sermon, 
It's okay. When you wake up, you've got the notes. You can kind of find where we are and go, oh, okay, here we are, you know? And, and I know it happens. Hey, it happens to the best of us, right? I understand. But that's why I provide that. And also so that you can write things down. If the Spirit of the Lord is stirring your heart, if He's speaking to you, write that down. File it in your Bible filing cabinet, right? And you might be able to pull that out at a different date and utilize that. Also, if you've already downloaded the church app, you can click on church notes or on the notes part and it will pull up that same outline and you can take notes on your phone. So that way you can be like, no, mom, I wasn't checking my email in church today or I wasn't on Facebook today. I was actually taking notes today, mom, on my phone. You know, when your parents get on you for being on your phone at church, if that happens, I don't even know. Just kind of saying silly things right now. Let's just continue with the message. Number one, our first point this morning is that the test presents itself. Look at verse one with me. First Samuel chapter 11, verse one says, then Nahash, the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, make a covenant with us and we will serve you. And Nahash the Ammonite answered them, On this condition I will make a covenant with you that I may put out all your right eyes and bring reproach on all Israel. Then the elders of Jabesh said to him, Hold off for seven days that we may send messengers to all the territory of Israel. And then if there is no one to save us, we will come out to you. Verse 4, so the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and told the news of the hearing of the people, and all the people lifted up their voices and wept. And now there was Saul coming behind the herd from the field. And Saul said, what troubles the people that they weep? And they told him the words of the men of Jabesh. Let's pause right here for a moment. I want to take a minute before we get too far and to orient us within the story here, to give you the context Nahash, the Ammonite, was actually a descendant of Lot, who was a nephew of Abraham. Okay, So we're talking about a little bit of a family feud going on here. Cousins of Israel. But interestingly here, the Ammonites, they're often posed as enemies against Israel. They lived on the eastern shore of the Jordan River. And here they are now attacking Jabesh-Gilead, which was a city or a small town that was on the border of the territory that was given to the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh on the eastern side of Jordan, the Jordan River, okay? Now, if you've been coming to Wednesday night Bible study, you've seen plenty of maps. We've already mapped all that out for you on Wednesday nights through the Word, But it just so happens that at this time, they assemble their army and they come up against the territory of the Transjordanian tribes. Now, the name Nahash in Hebrew actually means snake. So what a fitting name for this guy. It's kind of like a WWE type name, you know, Nahash the snake. Okay, we want to get this into your minds this morning. This guy is the enemy. But notice the pride and the self-confidence that Nahash the snake feels, which is really seen in the way that he handles the men of Jabesh-Gilead. Notice that when they offer to surrender themselves to Nahash the snake, he tells them, well, okay, but only if I get to burn your right eyes out. Now, someone might be saying, why in the world the right eye? Well, not only would that be a huge disgrace 
for all the men of the city to have their right eye put out, burnt out. But also, Nahash is thinking long-term military solutions here. A person without a right eye can't really aim an arrow very well, right? It's a little bit difficult to do, especially if you're right-handed. It would be difficult. It would also be difficult to throw a spear or to sling a rock if you don't have that depth perception of the right eye there. Being an effective soldier wouldn't be, uh, it, you would lose that effectiveness. So that's why he wanted to put their right eyes out. But notice, if they had their right eye put out, it would affect their military might, but it wouldn't affect their ability to still be slaves. You see, they could still be agricultural slaves and work the land, and then whenever Nahash the snake wanted, he could demand tribute, and they would have to send a tribute to him. Now, another reason that we know that Nahash is acting in arrogance here is, did you notice he actually allows the men of Jabesh-Gilead to send for help? He's like, yeah, okay, you guys can have seven days. Go ahead and take the seven days and go see if anybody else will come rescue you. Now, why would he say that? Well, I'll tell you why. He obviously thinks he's got this one in the bag. And because he thinks he's so confident in his military might, in his army, he's thinking, we've got this in the bag. I actually want you to bring more people to the battle because that means that me and my soldiers, we're going to get, a, we're going to get more spoil. There's going to be a bigger prize if there's a bigger army here. So I'm sure that's, that, that's behind the story. That's what he's acting out of is his pride and the possibility of more prize for his men. Now, I want you to notice the different responses that we see to the threat of Nahash the snake. The men of Jabesh Gilead, they show us our first response. The first response is to propose a surrender. Nahash the snake shows up. He's like, you're all going to die. And they're like, okay, we want to surrender. That's response number one. Response number two, the men of Israel seem to cry out as if it's already over. Did you catch that there in verse four? They're crying out as if, hey man, we, we've kind of already conceded the territory of Jabesh Gilead to the Ammonites at this point. There's nothing we can do. So they're crying out, they, they, they kind of already feel like they're defeated. And then you've got Saul, the third response. Now Saul, as we're going to see in verse 6, will actually be filled with the Holy Spirit and he will rise up to meet the enemy in battle. What is the application for us here this morning? Well, church, can I ask you something today? What do you do? What do you do when the enemy comes attacking? When Nahash the snake shows up in your personal life, how do you respond? Now in the text, there are some who give in, others who give up, and some who will rise up and fight. Which will you be? This is the application for you this morning from this text. If you haven't noticed already, there are many battlefields that are coming against church, the true church in America today, and and against Christians in general. You see, the true church in America is on a collision course with the enemy. The enemy has attacked in various forms, coming against that sacred ground known as religious liberty, for one, and the sacredness of life in the womb, for another example. The battle lines are being drawn. 
What do I mean when I'm talking about religious liberty? Well, religious liberty is really up against the war right now, the fight of the sexual revolution, if you haven't noticed, in our country. Those of you that follow the news, you probably have seen something about a bit of an uproar taking place from those that are secular about our vice president's wife working at a Christian school, which has the audacity to declare in their very charter, in their foundation of what they believe, that they do not support homosexual marriage and that they're against transgenderism, that they're not on board with the sexual revolution when it comes to those things. And because of this, she has been roasted in the press, roasted in the media for making that a place of work and and, and being called out now for that. Why is this happening? Well, the secular world wants to make this issue the issue. If you haven't noticed, this is what pastors, this is what Christian artists This is what Christian politicians are all being grilled on today. Where do you stand on the issue of homosexuality and transgenderism? They want to know if you're actually going to stand for what the Bible teaches or if you're going to cave to the pressure and compromise or give up. And we need to tackle this issue in the church today. Why? Because too many Christians don't know what the Bible teaches or they're choosing to look the other way and they're trying to let this all go past without ever having to take a stand. Listen, the time for that is coming to an end. The true church in America is on a collision course with the enemy. You're going to have to choose where you stand on this issue. Now, am I saying that we need to do that in an unloving way? Oh, heaven forbid. Of course not. Are homosexuals welcome in this church? Of course they are. If a transgender person comes to our doors, they are welcome to come here and to worship God. And we, we pray and hope that as they sit here and listen to the Bible being taught and, and, and they hear God's heart about these issues and, and God's heart for them through the gospel hey, I've seen the Holy Spirit do great things as he guides and leads people to the truth. But listen, you have to know what the Bible teaches about these things. There are too many Christians today that are illiterate when it comes to these major issues that the church is being attacked in today. And so much like what happened to Lauren Daigle, who has a a large public spotlight there, they came and they asked her point blank, Do you believe that homosexuality is a sin? And she did what so many Christians are doing today because perhaps of Bible illiteracy, biblical illiteracy, or perhaps it's because they want to make a compromise, or or I don't know what. I can't judge the motive there. But her answer was that, well, I'm not God, so I can't say. But listen, I'm sorry. That is not good enough. The true church in America is on a collision course with these things, with the enemy. He's attacking us in our religious liberty today. Religious liberty is being sacrificed in many instances to to the sexual revolution and caving into those demands. But listen, listen, guys, I'm going to tell you right now, just in case you did not know this, God has given us absolute truth 
That is absolutely true for all people in all time, in all places. And when it comes to issues like homosexual, so homosexuality and transgenderism, those are sin issues that God clearly defines beginning in the Old Testament and reiterating several times all throughout the Bible, even into the New Testament. And so you have to know that if you are are a Christian and you read your Bible, you will understand that that's where God stands. And we have to know that. But but so many Christians today are going, hey, that's I know that that's where the Bible stands, but but I'm not okay with that. Well, listen, you need to wrestle with it. You need to find out what your problems are and you need to address them. You need to pray because this is where the collision course is today. The battle lines are drawn. We have to know where we stand. What about the sacredness of life? Well, again, we've, you know, as we read the news, we see things happening in our country today. What what just happened in uh, New York, for example, where they've passed legislation that allows for abortion now all the way up into the third trimester of the baby's uh, life in the womb. And, and, And then what we see happening, this fiasco in Virginia with the governor and their legislators, the state legislators, introducing a bill that says that, yeah, even to the third uh, trimester and even to the point of birth, even if a woman is in labor, the decision can still be made to have that baby killed in the womb. And it is with great disgust and displeasure that I even share that, that, that that's where our nation is at today, should wake us up and cause us to realize, hey, there are some serious battles being fought in the United States today. And the true church is called to defend the voice of the innocent, those that don't have a voice in the womb. And it's time for us to stand up. It's time for us to know what we believe and take a stand on what we believe. But so many, even though we know where God stands because of the word, he's revealed it to us clearly, so many will choose to give in like the people of Jabesh Gilead. And they'll say, you know what? Let's just make a covenant. Let's just compromise. They'll look around. They'll say, there's not a chance of winning. I don't want to get called of being the guy that's on the wrong side of history. I don't want to get persecuted. I don't want you to get hate mail. I don't want people to look down on me for taking a stand and actually proclaiming that what God says is true is true. And because of that, they'll give in and they'll make a covenant with the world. Other Christians will just give up. They'll say, well, I'm just walking away from this one. I'm just consigning that whole territory to defeat. Or will you, like Saul, look to the Lord for strength? Ask for the Holy Spirit to fill you with his heart, with his love for the people that are hurting. And they need someone in their life that loves them. Not not enough to just cave in and say, okay, whatever you want. But enough to say, look, I love you and I'm going to maintain a relationship with you long term. But I'm going to share truth with you. I'm going to be the one that shares truth. I'm going to be the one that stands for truth in your life. And you know what? When that person is broken and hurting and knows that that, that, that homosexuality and transgenderism issue is not satisfying them, it's not what they thought it was, it's another lie from the enemy that has ripped them off. When they come to that point, who are they going to turn to? Not the people that caved in or just playing along in the charade with them. They're They're going to go to the people that really love them, 
that have spoken truth into their life and said, look, I'm here for the long term for you. I'm with you in this. But listen, it has to be done in a Christ-like way. Saul was this man. He knew that he would face persecution. You too will face persecution for your faith, for what you believe is right which is based on the scriptures, but will you stand? Guys, we have to make that decision. We have to come to grips with it. It's where we are. It's where we are today. Here's a second battlefield for you. Nahash the snake will also come against each one of you as Christians in the form of temptation to sin. He will demand that each one of us pays a very high price, crippling us if he can, maiming us, mutilating us, Just as Nahash the snake wanted to take the right eye, the enemy of your soul wants to cripple you, mutilate you, maim you, spiritually speaking, so that you are incapable of being a witness for Jesus Christ. He wants to uh, take away that pure conscience that you have before the Lord, and he'll do it any way he can. Because a man or a woman without a pure conscience cannot stand as a light in the midst of the darkness. Because all anybody has to do is to come and to accuse them and they go running because they don't have ground to stand on. The enemy, Nahash the snake, he wants to subject you to slavery. And he does that through secret sins. He holds those secret sins over us so that we have no power in our witness. And that might be why the church today is in the predicament that we're in here in America. Is because we've compromised and we've given in. And we forgot to take a stand on the word of God and realize this is absolutely true for all people in all places in all times. God's moral standards never change. And they apply to us personally as well. In fact, they apply to us personally first before we ever go out and look for the the, the speck in somebody else's eye. We're to deal with the plank that is in our own eye But will you give in when Nahash the snake attacks, when he tempts? Will you say yes to that temptation and allow it to overtake your life and to render you powerless in your Christian witness? That's called compromise. Or will you give up? This is called defeat. And many Christians are giving up today. Or will you rise up and fight in the power of the Holy Spirit? Let's continue in our text and see what Saul will do as we see the test faced in verses 6 through 13. First, that test is faced on a personal level in Saul's life. Verse 6 says, Then the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard this news, and his anger was greatly aroused. Here we see a man of God filled with the Holy Spirit, and he is roused in anger. A righteous indignation over the things that are happening in his nation. I want to point out a couple of things to you here before we move on very quickly. First of all, let me explain that the Holy Spirit's relationship with Saul is different than the Holy Spirit's relationship with the church today. If you remember this, when we studied the book of Judges, we saw that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would occasionally, as the need arose, come upon or fill certain men for certain times so that they could accomplish God's purpose. That's exactly what's happening here. It was not like it is now. Today, in the church today, the Holy Spirit indwells the life of every believer. 
and he still does come upon the life of the believer or refill or refresh, whatever you might want to call that, in order to empower us to live the Christian life and to overcome sin and temptation. But secondly, notice that Saul had a righteous anger. We know that this is a righteous anger because he is empowered by the Spirit of God. This helps us to understand here that not only is Saul justifiably angry, but God is also angry. Did you know that God gets angry about things like evil and sin? Yes, it's true. God is not okay with evil and sin. In fact, he clearly is angry over the fact that Nahash the snake is coming against his people. There is not one evil act in this world that goes unnoticed by our holy God. There is not one siege by the enemy, not one tactic of the enemy against the people of God that God is not aware of and not ready in his righteous indignation to come to our aid, to come alongside, to to fill us and to help us in that battle. God, in fact, is looking for the one whose heart is loyal to him that he can show himself strong on their behalf. I'm, of course, referring to 2 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9. I'd like to read you that verse right now. If you don't mind, I'm going to read it to you, but I'm going to ask you to close your eyes while I read it so that you could just meditate and think about what I'm about to read. Yes, the pastor did just ask you to close your eyes in the middle of my sermon, but I'm going to make sure to ask you to open them again too, okay? So, 2 Chronicles 16, 9. Just listen to this verse. It says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. All right, you can open them. Make sure the guy next to you's eyes are open too, okay? Just in case. But notice here that God is actually looking for men and women whose heart is so loyal to him that they would say, you know what, I'm not going to give in, I'm not going to give up, I'm actually going to rise up and take a stand for truth today. And that person whose heart is loyal to God, God says, hey, I've got your back. I've got your back. I am with you, and the persecution that you will face, yes, it will be the worst you will ever face in your life. Here in America, which is not all that bad, by the way, compared to some countries, but by the way, I'm with you. I am with you. So, so what's it going to be? Are you going to give in? Are you going to give up? Or are you going to rise up? Paul personally faced that test, and he rose up. But also notice, nationally, they faced this test. Verse 7, it says that, So Saul took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout the territory of Israel by the hands of messengers saying, whoever does not go out with Saul and Samuel to battle, so it shall be done to his oxen. And the fear of the Lord fell on the people and they came out with one consent. And then when he numbered them in Bezek, the children of Israel were 300,000 and the men of Judah 30,000. And they said to the messengers who came, Thus you shall say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you shall have help. Then the messengers came and reported it to the men of Jabesh, and they were glad. Now notice this little subterfuge here in verse 10. It says, Therefore the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will come out to you, and you may do with us whatever seems good to you. So they, had a, they sent out some communication to Nahash the snake. 
And they were kind of putting him at ease, like, hey, tomorrow we're going to surrender to you. You know, <laughs> tomorrow we're going to come out. So that way his focus, his attention is on that. And in verse 11, so it was on the next day that Saul put the men or put the people in three companies and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch. So early morning dawn attack here and killed Ammonites until the heat of the day. And it happened that those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. Let's pause here for a moment. Here we see that the entire nation of Israel essentially responded in unity and rose up against the enemy. So they faced a test and they passed that test because of the strength of their leader. Now their unity was found in the strength of their leader, but note this, the strength of their leader was found in the Holy Spirit of God. If you look at verse 7, it says that the fear of the Lord fell on the people. And they came out with one consent. Isn't it amazing how the fear of the Lord God Almighty can be a unifying factor? In fact, that is one of the reasons here listed why the people came together. They had a fear for the Lord. Listen, where the people fear the Lord, they will unite against the enemy. But where the people have no fear of the Lord, wickedness and evil will abound. We also see that Saul faces yet another test of his leadership, only this one is internal. Look at verses 12 and 13 with me. It says, Then the people said to Samuel, Who is he who said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has accomplished salvation in Israel. Let's pause here. Now, Saul is facing an internal temptation. What would that temptation be? This internal leadership test? Well, it's a temptation to silence his critics. He has an opportunity to silence the naysayers, those that were negative. If you remember at the end of chapter 10, there was a group of people that were negative about Saul and his leadership, and they actually they were dissenters who spread their opinions so much that everybody just went home at the end of chapter 10. Instead of moving forward and taking steps to institute Saul as king, these naysayers, they kind of took the wind out of the sails. And so here they bring him back up to Saul and they're like, hey, these dissenters had a powerful influence, Saul. Why don't you take him out right now? So here Saul has the opportunity to ride this newfound popularity, to use his position of power to silence critics. But listen, he does not do that. You know, so often as leaders, a leader faces not only tests personally, not only tests uh, in, in, in unifying the people around him, but also he faces an internal test after the victory has been won. Leaders face tests after the victory is over too. What is, the, what is the temptation? It's pride. It's to start thinking that you're all that, to start believing the press. And, and, and to say, you know what? Yeah, we are going to silence everybody that's against me. We are going to just take steps to totally not, you know, to, to do away with them. But Paul resists the temptation to be filled with pride here. He resists the temptation to take them out. And, and, and he takes the high road. And guess what? He gives credit where credit is due. He doesn't take it upon himself, but he points the people to the Lord. He says, no, today the Lord has won salvation in Israel, has given salvation in Israel. So this is, this is actually, though, one of the last times 
in Saul's life, unfortunately, where we're going to see him acting in true humility and wisdom. He will not take the high road when he is given the chance on the next occasion. I'm just going to, that's a little spoiler alert for you. But for now, though, the test is passed and praise is given. This is our third point and last point. The test is passed and praise is given. Look at verse 14. It says, Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. And there they made sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. So why Gilgal? Well, if you remember, that was the first place where Israel camped when they crossed over the Jordan River where they saw God do an amazing work, where they saw the water of the Jordan River stop flowing, God dried the land, and then they crossed behind the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And when they got to the other side, man, they renewed their commitment to the Lord. They honored the Lord in worship. They, 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 they made a, a sacred camp there at Gilgal. You know what this teaches us? Is that as Christians, it is so important to go back and to remember our first love. It is so important to go back and to remember how God brought us out of the world. Why is this important? Well, I think it has to do with our compassion. You see, we're talking about some really touchy issues today, like abortion and homosexuality and transgenderism. Hey, I know people that are wrestling with these issues in their lives and and even living in sin in these issues in their lives. And if I don't have the heart of the Lord, if I don't go back to my time in the world and realize I I too am just a sinner in need of the gospel and the grace of Jesus Christ, well, guess what? I'll probably treat those people wrong. Going back to Gilgal and remembering my first love and how God loved me and brought me out of the world gives me compassion on people that are in the world. And it reminds me that they need the good news of Jesus Christ. Look, the main issue is not going to be homosexuality or abortion or these things. That's what the enemy wants to make the main issue. The main issue is their heart and the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel, the good news. That's what we need to get back to with these people. We need to go back to Gilgal. We need to remember how God brought us out of the world in order to what? To bring us in to a relationship with him. You see, God meets our deepest needs as human beings. He meets your deepest need as a human on a level that no person ever can. And there are people out there that are searching in all kinds of crazy things, some in drugs, some in alcohol, some in sexual relationships, whether they're heterosexual or homosexual. Some of them are looking for an identity. Guess what? All of that is tied into one thing, the good news of Jesus Christ. He is the answer, and we have to go back to Gilgal sometimes to remember that. Now, you might think that after passing this test, after defeating the enemy, Saul would have gathered his counsel. He would have looked ahead to the next battle, but not Samuel, not Saul. Instead, they look back, and then in turn, that causes them to look up and to say, God, you have done great things. God, we worship you. God, it is you that is capable. It is you that has the power to change lives. It is you, God, that we worship and adore today. It takes a true servant of God to give, the, to give God the glory that he deserves in a time like that. So often a leader will go, oh, yeah, look what we accomplished. Look what I did. 
Look at how good we are. But not Saul, not Samuel. They go back to Gilgal and they say, look at the Lord. Look at what he has done. So as I close this message this morning, I hope that you have seen that what happened so long ago in the land of Israel is still happening today. Nahash, the snake, is still attacking the church. He's still attacking the lives of personal believers today because he's still roaming this earth. He is looking for those that he can attack and oppress. He is seeking to maim and to mutilate in order that he might render you powerless in the world today and your, your capability to stand for what is right and true. Some Christians have already given in. They've made a covenant of compromise with the enemy. Hey, listen, we need to pray for them that they would repent and that they would get right before it's too late, that they would repent from that compromise with the world. And maybe if that's you that's made that compromise, hey, the Lord is calling you to repentance today to repent of a heart that would say, hey, I want to be friends with the world. I want to do things the world's way. That's compromise. Other Christians are giving up. They think that they're defeated already. They think that territory is lost. Listen, we need to pray for them as well. We need to pray that their minds would be renewed in the word of God and that they would realize that in Christ there is always hope, that it is never too late. That what the enemy has claimed as his territory, Jesus Christ can come and claim again as his ground. We need to pray for them that they would be renewed in mind and strength. And then we need to remember that we all have victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Do you realize that, church? If you are in Christ today, you are standing in a position of victory No matter what the world accuses us of, no matter what Satan accuses us of, no matter what Nahash the enemy, the snake comes against us and he he tries to intimidate and threaten and keep us down. But listen, we fight from the position that we have in Christ Jesus and that position is victory. Jesus Christ has won the battle on the cross. He defeated sin. He defeated death. All of these things are defeated in the cross of Jesus Christ. And last but not least, knowing that we fight from victory, Christian brother, Christian sister, here today, it's time that we would rise up like Saul and that we would stand against the enemy. Now, I'm not talking about violence or in violent ways. That's not the way of the Christian. We don't come and hack people up, you know, with the Bible or machetes or anything like that, okay? We fight in the character of Christ, okay? Now, in our ethics class, we talked about activism and pacifism and selectivism and the different ways that Christians are allowed to be involved in warfare as well as self-defense. We talked about those things. We have those rights. There are times for that. But listen, the way that we fight with these things is never through violence, It's always going to be in line with the character of Jesus Christ. We have a voice. We need to rise up. We need to defend the innocent. We need to take a stand for absolute truth that is true for all people in all times and all places, including today. We're not on the wrong side of history. 
That battle starts with each one of you individually standing in the truth and walking in victory because we rely on God and we rely on each other. Remember, that's, that's the key here. Saul was filled with the Spirit of God. He didn't step out in his own strength and in his own anger. He stepped out in a righteous anger that was based on truth, on what was right. And that's where we need to stand. Let's pray.